Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by Fitz Kohler. She is a fitness expert, a professional race announcer, as well as an author. Fitz, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Curveball. Absolutely. Well, why don't you go ahead and start off by giving people some background on yourself, telling the audience anything you'd like us to know. Well, yeah, thanks. So I I am a fitness expert. I've been teaching fitness for decades around the world. And, you know, I do a variety of things that allows me to focus on one very narrow thing, which is helping folks live better and longer. And I do that in a variety of ways. First of all, I teach fitness via mass media. So I'm not the girl at the gym anymore or the personal trainer. Most of my efforts come on a microphone, TV, radio, books, magazines. I do a lot of corporate speaking and spokesperson work. So I've held stages for Disney, Oakley, Tropicana, Office Depot, you name it. Um, I have bossed those people around or (laughs) I've, I've taught fitness on their behalf. As well, I own a large before school walking running program, which is worldwide called the Morning Mile. And that allows uh, children to start their day in an active way with fun music, friends and rewards. And so far, my Morning Milers have completed millions of miles. And I'm very proud of that. And uh, I'm a professional race announcer. So we're probably going to get into the fact that I have a brand new book out called My Noisy Cancer Comeback. Um, But besides just beating breast cancer, I am a professional race announcer, which means I host the start and finish lines of mostly massive running events from the Los Angeles Marathon, Buffalo Marathon, Philadelphia, Big Sur Marathons, the DC Wonder Woman and Batman run series. So I make a lot of happy noise and support a lot of people in their efforts to get fit and stay strong. Well, we definitely will talk about your book, but let's talk about your fitness fitness program. Is it more like a um, more like a Weight Watchers, or is it more like how Richard Simmons used to be or Jane Fonda? <laughs> Neither, actually. And so, I don't necessarily have a program now. I have a master's degree in exercise and sports sciences, so really, what I am is an educator, and I take every opportunity I can to teach people how to eat the right amount of the right food for the size they want to be. I have a, a, it's called the exact formula for weight loss, but my philosophy of fitness comes without diets, pills, powders, supplements, those crazy wraps or any other sort of snake oil. You know, the reality with fitness is you have to watch what you put in your mouth. You got to move your body. You got to get some sleep and you got to remove the cranky people. Other than that, fitness is not so complicated. And so I, I spend my days convincing people that becoming fit and healthy is a really good choice and then teaching them how simply it can be accomplished. I like to make fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. So there really is no quote unquote signing up for my program. I, in fact, do not take money from the consumers. Um, the The only way people could give me money is to buy the book. Other than that, I give away my information and advice for free because I genuinely care about my fellow man 
And then corporations pay my salary. So I am in a good position where I just get to take care of people and I get to tell them the truth. Whereas a lot of other people in the fitness industries are doing anything and saying anything and selling anything just to make an extra buck. What feels your what fueled your passion and got you started in the fitness industry? You know, um, uh, long story short, I hurt my knee playing soccer. I got tackled, tore MCL, and a few other things. I started with rehab before surgery. My my um, orthopedic doctor said, "Hey, go do a little bit of physical therapy. Let's see if we can get anything to heal before I go in with a knife." And during that process, I thought, wow, physical therapy. I like the gym atmosphere. I liked helping people. I really love the human body. I was only 14 at the time, but I started to um, lean towards, wow, this could be an interesting career choice. And then I had the surgery and I had, I don't know, 20 staples in my knee type thing. And my doctor took the staples out, sent me back down to physical therapy post-surgery and then that physical therapist started scratching away at my incision. And I thought, oh, that's disgusting. I would never want to touch anybody's incision. No, thank you. So fortunately, when I was done with physical therapy, that therapist sent me to a gym. He said, you need to continue strength training or you're going to re-injure your knee. And when I ended up at the gym, I really fell in love again with strength training I started taking classes and thought, gee whiz, this is a lot of fun. And uh, I was only 14 at the time, but I had a job at Cinnabon, if you know what that is, where they make these really rich, high calorie, delicious cinnamon buns. And, you know, I enjoyed my minimum wage job that I had at the time, but my manager was really mean. And I think I quit Cinnabon, but I, I don't know if I got, I don't think I was fired. I guess I quit. Um, but I applied at the women's health club that I had been attending and working out at. And that manager said, you know, have you ever taught fitness before? And I said, no, but I really love the human body. I've been learning a lot through physical therapy. I take lots of classes here. And he said, well, can you teach a class on Friday night? And this was Tuesday and I had no training or whatever, but think, thankfully I'm a gamer. And I decided yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. And so I taught that one class. It went really well. I was given some constructive um, criticism from, from the people in my class. This is what you could do better. And uh, since then, I have taught fitness all around the world. I've taught on television. Uh, I've taught in every capacity. And the larger my audience, the better, because I truly crave helping massive amounts of people. So uh, yeah, it's been a very fulfilling um, career and I'm certainly not done yet. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. Well, let's talk about your children's program. What got you into that and made you want to start up something like that? Pretty interesting. You know, yeah. Thank you. So when my kids were little, my son was three, my daughter was five. She had just entered kindergarten and I kept hearing about other schools, the ones they did not attend, um, allowing their kids to run or walk before school. And some of the moms in our little play group had been bragging about, oh, Aiden ran before school and Susie ran before school. And I kept thinking, gee whiz, I wish my kids could do that. I wish my kids could do that. That sounds like a great way to start the day, get some exercise, turn on their brains, relieve some stress. And then my fitness professional, that light bulb went off and I thought, she was, I wish all kids could do this, not just mine. 
And so I visited the local schools that had uh, various running, walking programs, and I took best practices from them. And I added my own, a program with rewards, a program that was open to every child every day and their families and the faculties. And then I added a system of rewards and I got corporations to sponsor the program because, you know, schools, schools are often lacking in their budget and they're not likely to spend a lot of money on fitness. So, you know, when I can get a a local community partner to pay for the program, which includes equipment, then the school can open it up to all of their students for free. Nobody gets excluded. And we really see a lot of um, reward that way. And the corporation gets to have a little banner with their logo on it on the field, which I think is a fair exchange for the contribution. Now, where are these programs located? Are they in every state or just certain cities and states or certain, you know, countries or? That's where? a great that's a great question. So I'm in four countries. Uh, the majority are in the United States, but I do have programs in Canada, Japan, and Grand Cayman. Um, and I'm in tons of states within the United States. So uh, Hawaii, all up and down the East Coast, Oregon, California, Texas, you name it. I don't think I have all 50 states yet, but I'm working on it. And anyone can go visit morningmile.com to learn more. If you'd like to get your kids moving in the morning or if you'd like to sponsor a program, I'm always eager to expand and uh, impact more children. There you go, listeners, morningmile.com. Let's um, switch over and talk about your book now. Tell everybody about your book and what encouraged you to write it and, and why you named it what you named it. Yeah, so it's called My Noisy Cancer Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life. And that's what I did. So I was I had a clean mammogram in December of 2018, and I've always been a huge proponent of annual exams, self-exams has been part of my fitness platform. And then something I've been committed to personally, just in case I figured if there was just one cancer cell in my body, I would want to know about it right away and crush it. So late December, clean mammogram, less than seven weeks later in February of 2019, I'm standing in a hotel bathroom at Disney World naked. I rub my underboob and I found a lump and it was very obviously something that should not have been in my breast. And, um, you know, a key moment for me, a pivot point is where I don't wait. I don't Google it. I don't call my girlfriends or my mom and cry. I picked up the phone and I made an appointment instantly. That decision-making saved my life because I had a sizey tumor already and three infected lymph nodes. And so I, within the next few days, I had my doctor appointment, which led to mammogram, ultrasound, um, biopsy. And then with a few days after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. About 10 days after that, I started chemotherapy. So, um, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of breast cancer. And, you know, if I had waited till the follow-up mammogram the next year, I definitely would be dead. So, um, you know, you get, it it was terrifying, (laughs) gut-wrenching. The whole thing was, um, quite awful. In fact, I'm a very gritty, sturdy person. But the stress that comes along with cancer of any kind is unlike no other. And so I embarked on 
21 rounds and 15 months of chemotherapy, 33 rounds of radiation and several surgeries. And so I, they threw the book at me as far as treatment went. They were, they were aggressively treating me with a very toxic cocktail, but the book came for two reasons. Number one, the side effects that resulted from my treatment were outrageous and outlandish. And I kept thinking, how come nobody ever talks about this stuff? Nobody ever tells you, you know, when we think of cancer and treatment and patients, we think, oh, you'll be sick and tired and bald. And I was all of those things. And I did not love being bald, but um, my long, luxurious blonde locks disappeared quite quickly in dramatic fashion once, um, once I started chemo. But Nobody ever gets into the nitty gritty of, you know, my eye color changed. My, I woke up one morning and my eyes were a different color. Um, my fingernails, they rotted out while still on my hands. And that was crazy. And nobody told me that. And so when the side effects kept coming and building up just this avalanche of weirdness, I kept thinking, Nobody ever tells you this. And then I thought, this is really kind of funny. This is getting ridiculous. And I think people would have a good laugh if they heard what kind of preposterous stuff was going on. And so that was my first um, inspiration for writing the book. And then the second inspiration was the noisy side of things. And um, as soon as I was diagnosed, you know, I mean, I didn't want to die, right? (laughs) You think about death a bunch. But then I really thought, I love my career so much, and I earned my rightful spot on those stages. I was not going to give it up. And, you know, when I host a race, my races usually minimum have about 5,000 people, and they go upwards of 25, 35,000 people. It's an epic experience to be the ringleader of that sport. And so, I wasn't going to give it up. And I committed before my treatment began to not giving up my races, which meant once chemo started and I got incredibly sick and I was dazed and confused, bald and glossy eyed, I got on 22 different flights to fly all over the United States announcing these extraordinary events. And I think I hosted about half a million people live that year, Uh, but the things I did to stay up on my feet while I was being treated got pretty wacky. I mean, I would fly from Florida to California or New York and I would get off the plane and then I would be shuttled straight to a place to get IV fluids. Um, I just, I could have called the book adventures in breast cancer. It was dramatic and it was exciting and it was scary and sad at some points, but I think overall very funny and hopefully a little bit of inspiration for somebody else going through hard times that, you know, if they have good perspective and they pick their passion properly or include their passions within their life, no matter what's going on, then they can, um, they can have a better experience while fighting to survive. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And speaking of those epic races, let's talk about those those races, um, being a professional race announcer. Tell us about your experience and just what it was like and and how did you get into that? So I started race announcing about in 2014, I believe. I had been teaching strength training clinics at races across the country. In fact, I was at um, Disney World. They have an endurance series called Run Disney. 
And I was basically their fitness expert. And I would show up for race weekends and I would teach these clinics on, um, you know, staying strong and flexible besides just running. And so they had an extraordinary announcer, Rudy Novotny, whose his nickname is the voice of America's marathons. He's got this big, booming voice and a bigger personality, very charismatic. And uh, he was always introducing me when it was my turn to speak. And, you know, he thought I was a fantastic presenter and he kept complimenting me on my uh, clinics and wow, you're so engaging. You're so much fun and your audiences love you, blah, blah, blah. And so finally he said, Hey, I need a co-host for a race in California, the Orange County Marathon. Are you interested? And I said, sure. I've never done that before, but I'd love to give it a go. And Matt teaching to the masses was not unique to me. Race announcing specifically was unique, but, um, it was funny because I believe that first race weekend, the morning of the marathon, we had 15,000 athletes. And so Rudy and I worked together seamlessly for the first hour as we were welcoming athletes as they arrived, getting them informed about the course they were going to conquer and then plugging sponsors and just bantering, you know, just having really fun, happy conversation that was keeping our athletes engaged. Um, but when you have a race that size, quite often we break them into smaller corrals to thin out the crowd on the course, just so people aren't tripping over each other. So maybe we'll release 1,000 people at a time instead of saying go and having 15,000 people take off. So Rudy and I were together for the first two corrals. He yelled go. And then he needed to get in a car and drive to the finish line. So he would be there to greet some of our fastest athletes. And I was left alone with 13,000 people. And so I was prepared for it. But when Rudy said, all right, I'm headed out. It's all your, all you. And I turn around and there was me versus 13,000 people. I did have that one second of, uh Oh, <laughs> what's this going to be like? But um, my good nature kicked in and so did my communication skills. And we had so much fun that morning. I think it took me about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes between waves to, uh, yell go and, and send the other 13,000 athletes off. And it was so much fun. And I really felt a strong connection with these folks because, you know, as, as a fitness instructor or I have to work hard to convince people that exercising and eating right is a good idea. But on race day, I don't have to convince anybody of anything. I literally am handed five, 10, 25,000 people who have already decided exercise is a good idea. They're going to pay for it, train for it. You know, they're going to show up and go do whatever distance, whether it's a 5K or a marathon distance. You know, these are people that are already sold on physical activity. And my job is just to get them engaged, informed and entertain them. And we have a blast. So um, that first experience was wonderful. Within an hour of yelling go for the first time, the race director came over and asked if I would come back the next year. So I was rehired. And then within a few months, I had already booked a handful of other events. And since then, uh, I've picked up some doozies. And I do believe that as far as race announcing goes, which there's only a handful of us who actually do it professionally, but I do believe I have the best race announcing schedule on the planet. I have the biggest, the best races, uh, the most fun races. I mean, Batman series, come on, it's, it's as good as it gets. So I, I do love what I do. Absolutely. 
is there any kind of classes or any kind of certifications that somebody would need to have to be a professional race announcer? No, no. You know what you need? You need uh, ability to work on a microphone, right? You need a big voice and a happy personality. And next to that of equal importance is understanding the race game and understanding what it's like to be a runner. I am a runner. And so that goes a long way. On occasion, a race director won't understand the value of a professional race announcer and they'll, they'll hire a DJ or a guy off the news just because they're good on a microphone. And what they fail to understand is that lack of connection with the audience or lack of understanding of the sport um, makes for a lackluster experience. So I, there's no certification required. And in fact, most people have no idea what the heck a race announcer is. Um, but it does require big personality, big voice and ability to ad lib. And then that deep understanding of the sport and of the athlete. And I, I think if you have all those qualities, you're going to be great. Yeah. When you said race announcer, I was thinking NASCAR, I never would have imagined right. it would be running. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, very different sports, but I'd be happy to yell, gentlemen, start your en engines, you know? That would be fun too. Absolutely. Do you have any kind of upcoming projects that listeners can jump into? Any books, any more races or speaking engagements or anything? Yeah. So as far as the book goes, My Noisy Cancer Comeback, it's available absolutely every, everywhere. It was just released this August. So a, a few weeks ago, in fact, and the kickoff has been great. Um, it's a hardcover, a paperback, audiobook, and ebook. So folks can get it in whatever format they like, wherever location they purchase they choose to purchase books. I prefer it when people come to me at fitness.com. That's F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com. And if people buy their books from me, I autograph every single copy and I include a fun gift with purchase. And they come with these hot pink envelopes. It's a, it's a much more fun experience to get your book from Fitness than from Amazon, although Amazon's just fine. Um, many of my races have been canceled this year for obvious reasons, but in 2021, things look like they're gonna be kicking back off again. So my race schedule is always available uh, at, at fitness.com and on my social media channels. I am at fitness on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And I certainly love it when people connect with me and, you know, I'm sure just like you, Curveball, I love making new friends and keeping in contact with my audience. Absolutely. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like to touch on? You know what, just as far as our, the benefit of our audience, you know, I would like them to be reminded that they have complete control over their own health. You know, there's a couple of things that we can't avoid. There are some genetic factors, but for the most part, when it comes to our weight, our athleticism, our fitness level, you know, nobody ever creeps into our bed at night and um, shoves food in our mouth, right? While we're sleeping, we make those choices with consumption. And it's really important that you feed your body wisely. You don't have to be perfect but you do have to make good choices more often than not. I definitely encourage folks to go to fitness.com and look at the exact formula for weight loss. Exercise, you don't have to run a marathon, but you do have to do something. You know, if you go out and make a concerted effort to get sweaty most days of the week, you're going to be far more likely to live long and live well than if you hadn't. 
And, you know, those annual exams and those self-exams mean everything. So um, squeeze your stuff. You got to make your appointments. The doctor also isn't going to creep into your bed at night and look around to see if anything is wrong with you. You need to bring your body into the doctor and let them check underneath the hood. That's that's kind of what those annual exams are for, is for them to explore and see, you know, inside and outside if you are healthy. And if not, make some moves to remedy those situations. But um, yeah, you got to show up and you got to squeeze your stuff. Those annual exams matter, but being uh, familiar with your own body. You know, I say, ladies, they're your hands, they're your breasts. You put your hand in your shirt and you cop a feel. And much like me, if you find something, you got to report it right away. You can't be an ostrich and put your head in the sand. Guys, you've got testes. You put your hands in your pants. You squeeze your stuff. And if you find a lump, you report it. Um, But yeah, I really want people to live better and longer. And that, you know, there's proactive things we could do to become healthier. And then there's reactive things where our body sends up these red flags. We we yield to them and then we get repaired. You know, we go into the doctor and they fix us up. So um, yeah, I care about our audience. So anyone can visit me at fitness.com. And if you need another poke in the chest, I'm happy to give it. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Fitz Kohler. Fitz, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Kerfal. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.